He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And Father, uh, thank you for this passage, and, and we understand that, God, you're into the business of, of healing hearts and healing souls, and, and Lord, just drawing a sinful man to that place of surrender to you. Father, I thank you that uh, as we gather together this morning, as it says here, all eyes were fixed on you, fastened on you, and may we fasten our eyes on you today, Lord. And, and more importantly, fasten our hearts on yours, Father, that that everything that you would have for us, we are just an open vessel to receive that which you have for us, God, and we just need you so. And uh, we pray your blessing over your word today, the, the people that have come to join today in fellowship. Bless every person that has come here. Those that are unable because of illness today, Lord, we commit them to you and we ask that you would touch them and bring strength and healing as only you can. And Lord, if there's any that have hurting hearts today and need just a healing of the heart, Lord, we commit that to you too. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Good morning, family. Perhaps not mighty in number today, but mighty in spirit. I'm glad you're here. Would you open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 9? And this morning, we're studying verses 1 through 6, and the title is, The Making of a Man for God. And if we're talking about, this morning, uh, Saul of Tarsus and his conversion, who would eventually become the Apostle Paul. But you know, the, so the story is, is very similar for many, many people, and the title, of course, The Making of a Man for God, we're talking specifically about Saul, but really, uh, it's God making a person for himself. That's his heart. And sometimes as we, as we consider some of the people in our lives, it, it seems like, at least to me, the least likely people in our estimation, but not in God's estimation, come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And maybe you know someone that you never thought would come to Christ. Maybe there's somebody on your heart right now. And you've shared, uh, you've witnessed, you've testified of the goodness of Jesus. And sometimes it seems like what you've shared falls upon deaf ears. Has that ever happened to you? I'm sure it's happened to all of us. But then, and I know of many instances, we, we say, praise God, you, you get a report. Or maybe there's a firsthand encounter with that person, and you've learned that they've come and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it's, that's a hallelujah time, isn't it? Time to rejoice. And it brings us to that place where we realize that, you know, God really cares. He really cares about people. And he doesn't want any person to die apart from him. 
And how wonderful it is that God supernaturally provides to every single soul an opportunity to trust him by faith and turn to him for forgiveness of sins and subsequent salvation. That's God's heart. We at times have a tendency perhaps to write somebody off, but God doesn't. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you believe the Bible? Then you must believe this verse. You must believe it or will doubt God's desire, but not only his desire, but his ability to save. We need to embrace it. Today we're going to see the, the Bible speaks of one of the most significant events as we open up to Acts chapter 9. The most significant event in human history, however, is the life and ministry, death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, that was followed by his ascension into glory and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. But with regard to church history, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who would later become Paul the Apostle, is among the most significant. And here we have a testimony of Saul and how he came to Christ. And family, every one of us, we have a story, don't we? We have a story to tell. Each of us has a testimony that's different from one another regarding the circumstances of our conversion. Things like, who was there? Who shared with us? And what did they say? What did their lives speak of? What happened in, in your life? How old were you and, and where were you geographically? What was taking place? We all have a story and there's details that are known to us, yet those are individual and those are personal, yet each of us has a common ending, and that is that we've received Jesus Christ as Savior into our hearts. That's our common ending, and it's God's goal for us. It's his plan, it's his desire, and his will. But when we think about our, our personal testimonies, I have to say that every testimony is made up of the same three things. First, who we were before we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Second, what were the circumstances in our life that brought us to a place of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus? And third, the miracle that God performed in our life. The person that he has made us through the new birth and how God took us from a path that, that we put ourselves on that would certainly lead to destruction. Perhaps the, thought, the path that we thought we would remain on for the rest of our life. And then God, he stepped in as he does so wonderfully and beautifully and he put us on a different path. A path with a different direction. A path with completely different experiences. And then, of course, and most importantly, this new relationship with God as a result of this magnificent change that God has made. It gives us hope, doesn't it? God gives us hope. He has provided hope for us. 
in the promises as we've come to Christ, the promises of God that we embrace, in the joy of knowing Jesus, in the ability that, that you and I have as, as flawed people to have a personal relationship with God Almighty, the creator of the universe. He has afforded us the privilege and opportunity to have a relationship with the pure and holy God through the redeeming power of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what God has done for us. I want to take a look at the Apostle Paul's life, or Saul of Tarsus, as we see here in this chapter, based on the common elements of his testimony with ours. Who he was before he put his faith in Jesus. What are the circumstances that, of his life that brought him to Christ? And, the, and third, the miracle that God performed in his life. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 of Acts chapter 9. It says, And Saul, yet threatening out, excuse me, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. That speaks of Paul's life before Christ. Saul of Tarsus. And at this point in his life, he's it's estimated he's in his mid-30s. And here's who he was. He, he was a man of great power. A man of great authority recognized by most people as a well-educated well in the Jewish law, in fact, an expert. And he would describe his own credentials in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day, in other words, by the law, according to the law, the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church and touching the righteousness which is in the law. He said, I was blameless. That's quite a list of credentials. And of course, he wrote that after he came to Christ, but he's looking back and he said, that was me. But he realized that's really nothing. Look at verse 1. It uses the word still. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest, uh, yet breathing, still breathing out those things, it means. He's referring back to earlier in the chapter, the martyrdom of Stephen. In Acts 8, 3, it tells us this. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. That became a practice for him. Acts 9.1, it's still a pattern of his life. And it seems that Saul became the key person to head up this persecution of the Christians. Still, that's the New King James, still breathing out threatenings and slaughter, which is murder. And Saul was determined to destroy Christians and wipe out Christianity. That's a heart that is very, very hard and angry and set on destruction. And it wasn't Saul's, it wasn't only Saul as a sole contributor but he was a leader of this persecution, dragging people out of their homes into prison. Picture this. By force, dragging them out to do harm to them. 
He was a very ugly, awful human being toward Christ's followers. Proud, arrogant, violent, hateful to the point of murder inwardly and also outwardly. And not only that, he hated Christ and Christ's followers. And yet, in all of this, he thought he was okay. In the eyes of the religious Jewish community, he was doing God a favor. And all along, rejecting the gospel of salvation and Jesus, the Son of God, who died for the sin of mankind through a brutal, sacrificial death that Saul wouldn't take seriously and consider blasphemy against the Jewish religion. He later wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, verse 13, who was before a blasphemy, speaking of himself, and a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He originally thought he was doing a good thing, breathing out threatenings and slaughter. There's a book entitled Word Pictures in the New Testament. It describes what these threatenings and, and slaughter look like. It said, threatenings and slaughter had come to be the very breath that Saul breathed, like a war horse who sniffed the smell of battle. He breathed on the remaining disciples to the murder that he had already breathed in from the death of the others, and he exhaled what he inhaled. That's a man that's pretty much out of control, isn't it? Out of control to do evil, set on doing evil and destruction. And verse 2 tells us that Saul requested letters from the high priest to enter into the synagogue in Damascus on a mission of destruction. And during that time, there was a large Jewish population in Damascus. And many Christians fled there from Jerusalem. But you know what? Saul would have none of it. He called upon the high priest, let me into the synagogue to get rid of those of, as he describes here, the, they way, the way. That's what they called the early Christians, the way. I'm sure because they followed the way. But the family, this is all before Saul came to Christ. And it's important we look at this because it shows us the magnitude of the miracle that occurred in the life of Saul. He was one thing before Christ and then someone totally different after he came to Christ. And think about the gospel, the power of the gospel to give a person a brand new start. And when we think of Paul, we usually think of this incredible man of God rather than the man that he once was. And he has an incredible testimony here. An angry murderer that inhaled and exhaled death that became the greatest apostle, the Apostle Paul. And we know it's a work that God did in his life. And he became Paul because of the new birth, this miracle that God brought to him. Has God done a great work in your life? If you've received Jesus Christ as Savior, you know that your life is changed. You know that you're no longer who you once were. Maybe not where you'd like to be yet, but you're no longer who you once were. Do you praise him for that? Do you praise the God of your salvation, the one who has lifted you out of the mire, out of the clay, and he set your feet upon a rock? the rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ. 
praise him for that. But knowing all of this about Saul at that time, that on this journey from Jerusalem to Damascus, God could have wiped him out, couldn't he? Very easily. But God didn't. Later in this chapter, the Lord would say to this man named Ananias who ministered to Paul or Saul in his blindness. Acts 9.15 says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he, speaking of Paul now, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Wait a minute now. This man named Saul that just wanted to murder people, murder Christians, hated Christ, blasphemed the name of Jesus. What is he? He is a chosen vessel of mine, God said, and he will bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And that's exactly what would happen in his life. He would testify before kings and Gentiles and the children of Israel. God didn't wipe out Saul. He saved him. Just like he continues to do today all over the world. Murderers, thieves, you name it. We serve a redeeming God, don't we? A God that can make beauty from ashes. How good God is. How incredible he is. Loves us so much. Even when we are dead in our trespasses and sin, his love plucked us up from where we were. And here we are today, worshiping and praising Jesus. Let's look at Saul's conversion. That road that's spoken of here between Jerusalem and Damascus is about a 150-mile journey, which is about seven days. And they're almost there. Look at verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. A great light from heaven shined around them. And as Paul shared his testimony to the people in Acts chapter 26, here's what it says in verse 6. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. What time of the day did this happen? The middle of the day. And in the Middle East, in the middle of the day, noon is an incredibly bright time. The sun just beats down, bears upon a person. But this light that's mentioned here, that enveloped Saul, was so bright, it stood out brighter than the noonday sun. It's so great that it left Saul blind for three days what was it? Well, I would suggest that this light must have been the heavenly glory that was created by the presence of Jesus. Just a glimpse of it. And we're not equipped for that right now, but one day we will be. We will see him as he is. Well, how did Saul react to this? He fell to the earth. Think about this. The greatest enemy of Jesus Christ, the greatest enemy of Christianity in the early church who was set on destruction, knocked to the ground by just a tiny exposure to the glory of God. Our God is mighty, isn't he? And Saul became helpless and powerless. One who was so strong, so bold, so 
proud, so powerful, he's brought to a place of complete dependence. Beginning in verse 4, we see the conversion, conversion that Jesus had over Saul. Look at verse 4. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Notice what Jesus did not ask. He didn't ask, why are you persecuting the church? Or why are you persecuting Christians? But rather, why are you persecuting me? I imagine this came as a shock to Saul. Because I'm certain that he never ever considered as he was murdering Christians, trying to silence Christianity, blasphemy against the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure he never thought, I'm going to go out this morning and I'm going to go persecute Jesus. I'm sure that didn't enter his mind. But in this question, Jesus is saying this, if you persecute my disciples, you are persecuting me. What you do with my bride, you do to me. That's how personally Jesus connected to his disciples. Isn't it wonderful? And how personally he is connected to his church. And Jesus takes all the persecution of his people very personally, very clearly we see that here. We think persecution is about us, but it's not, is it? No, it's about Jesus who lives inside of us. And it's not inconceivable that Saul's thinking about how he directed, have you heard these words of Jesus, how he directed and oversaw and endorsed the stoning of Stephen as Jesus said, listen, you're persecuting me. And look at verse 5. And Saul said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He said, who are you, Lord? We know who Saul is talking to. We know. But at that moment, Saul didn't know. He knows he's talking to someone who is greater than himself because he called him Lord, one who is an authority. It's a title of respect, but not acknowledging him as God. Who are you, Lord? And then Jesus replied, I am Jesus. And at that very moment in time, Saul's life, as it was, began to unravel. Imagine what those words did in his heart. Here he is. He's, he's trying to wipe out Christianity. He's blaspheming the name of Jesus. He's trying to put an end to all of this talk that's going about among Jesus' believers, trying to destroy this whole idea that there's a resurrection of this man named Jesus. Who are you, Lord? And those words, once again, I am Jesus. And from that moment on, Saul's world starts to flip right side up. And I'm certain Saul had no idea what hit him, but the truth is it's not what hit him, it's who hit him. He had an encounter with the living God. And I'm sure Saul realized that, that which he previously heard, he heard Stephen preaching this incredible sermon. I'm sure he realized, thinking back, what that man spoke was true after all. Jesus is alive. 
Jesus rose from the dead. He is the Son of God, and He is God the Son. And that Jesus came to save sinners from their sin. Just like Stephen said, and this Jesus is speaking to me right now. And Saul realized he was on the wrong side of Jesus, and therefore on the wrong side of God. And then Jesus continued in verse 5, It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The King, New King James calls it the goads. Often one of the things that people talk about is how the conversion of Saul was almost instantaneous. And, and I think if we read this as it is, it, it almost seems that way. This, this sudden change in a man who was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the Jews and the disciples of Jesus. But listen to what Jesus said. It is hard for you. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad, what is it? It's a long stick with a sharpened end. It was used to direct an ox that was pulling a cart or a plow to poke that ox in the right direction. If the ox went off course, the person that was directing the ox, he'd poke, the, poke that ox with a sharp end of the goad, redirecting it back in the path that it ought to go. And for an animal that would be kicking against this goad, it's an expression of what? It's an expression of rebellion. Poking and kicking, kicking to get this thing away. It's an expression of rebellion and self-will. In other words, I, I want to go where I want to go, no matter what you do. Jesus said, Saul, that's you. You're in rebellion against me, kicking against the leading of God for a long, long time. And Saul understood that Jesus had been actively working in his life and on his heart to guide him to a proper conclusion of who Jesus is. And I'd suggest that Saul had been under conviction for some time, but he resisted. We see that his life was miserable, hard, because he resisted. He was an angry man. In fact, the person that resists God, that, that's a person that's miserable, could paint a beautiful picture on the outside, but I can promise you that there's something inside that can be viewed as misery. Proverbs 13, verse 15 says, Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. It's hard. Well, what was this goad that God used with Saul? Well, it had to be the gospel. The preaching of the gospel and the death of Stephen and his confession. Saul held the garments of those stoning Stephen and he watched and he heard Stephen's voice saying this in Acts 7.56, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then in verse 60, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And then Stephen breathed his last. Saul of Tarsus, this religious leader, this Pharisee, this big shot, the one who thought he knew all about God, he was the one people looked up as an expert. But as he listened to Stephen, as Stephen preached Christ, something began to stir in Saul's heart. There's a goad poking away at him, and he realized that this Stephen, he knows God, he knows the Word of God, he knows Jesus personally. And imagine being Saul who claimed to know God and living a very religious life, and he sees the difference between Stephen and himself. 
He saw Stephen's heart as Stephen was being stoned to death. And then I'm sure he began to see his own stone heart. Stone hard. And that scene would never, ever escape Saul. This realization that something was so right in Stephen would not lead him, excuse me, leave him. And as he tried to protect his role as a Pharisee, as a religious leader, his, he couldn't run from the truth of what Stephen shared. He could find no flaw or weakness in the truth that Stephen brought forth. And then Saul realized this is truth about God. It's truth about Jesus and the law and the prophets, and I can't fight it against it any longer. And the truth is poking at my heart like a goad as God directed Saul to this place of submission. And he said this, we see it in verse 6. And he trembling and, ast- and, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Lord, what will you have me to do? And those words, with those words, Saul became a completely different person. He stepped into God's plan for his life. And what his life became as a result is seen from here on in as we can, will continue through the book of Acts and through the, the epistles and so on. For the rest of Saul's life, he was marked as a man that was purchased by Jesus. He developed a devotion to Jesus Christ, a, a love for Jesus that he never thought possible. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, describes him, describes us too. Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Lord, what would you have me to do? And he was told. And then he did it. He was a chosen vessel unto God. Let me ask you a question. Has God heard that expression of submission from you. When was the last time that, that you said, Lord, what would you have me to do? You see, that's walking in God's plan. Are you walking in God's plan for you? And I, and I believe that this is a question that we ought to ask ourselves every single day. And as time goes on, I believe we must wholly be concerned about this. I believe it's a question that we must frequent because without it, we're going to drift into self-will, won't we? Or the will of others. So it's good to stop and ask ourselves, am I walking in God's plan for my life? Lord, what would you have me to do? And if God says, yes, you are, through his word and by his spirit, that's good. But if he says no, then it's time to talk to him about it and sit before him. God, show me. Lord, am I walking in your will? Am I walking in the plan that you have for me? Am I doing what you would have me to do? Lord, what would you have me to do today? 
and enter into that dialogue with him. Because he wants you to walk in his way and in his will, doesn't he? Of course he does. He's God. He's got a great plan for you. And if, if we veer off that path, he's going to tell you about it. You may not feel the, the poke of a sharp-ended goad, right? Maybe you will. But maybe God will just say, just sit close to me. I want you to hear my heart. I see your heart, but I want you to hear my heart. Because I have such an incredible, magnificent plan for you that starts at this very moment if you listen to me. And if you walk with me. This passage today, as we think about Saul and his conversion, it's a reminder for us to never give up hope concerning the salvation of another person. And you know, we can look at the lives of others and say there is, there is no way. There is no way. And you've probably heard people say, if I ever stepped into church, I'd probably get struck by lightning. No, that, that, that's not true. That's a pretty rare event. <laughs> but you know, if a person steps into the truth, there's something magnificent that can take place. And how can they step into truth? Well, you have a testimony, right? You have the power of prayer. You have the privilege to go before the throne of God and intercede on another person's life. God, I don't know what they're up to or what he's up to or she's up to, but you do. And you love them even when I don't feel like loving that person. You do and you continue to love and you continue to draw. Lord, what would you have me to do? And I think God would say this. Love them. Love on them. Even though it's hard sometimes. And pray for them. Pray that they would come to me. Don't give up hope. We can have that tendency because we don't oftentimes see the evidence of God's goads in that person's life, you know? Nobody saw it in Saul. Here he is. He's, he's carrying on a stoning ceremony, encouraging people, planning and plotting to kill this guy. And as Stephen spoke, God is poking at him. And he would say, you know what, Saul? You've been kicking against me. I don't want you to kick against me anymore. You know, as you, as you walk with Jesus, as you live for Jesus, it's highly likely that you are being used as a goat in that person's life. You don't have to do the poking. You do the praying. Let God do the poking, okay? Let him do it. He's much better at it. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe there's somebody at work that just gets under your skin all the time. It's God's work to fix that, isn't it? This account shows us, too, that if God can get through what he got through with Saul, he can get through to anybody it seems. Saul was angry, self-righteous, arrogant, murderous, and God got through to him. 
And maybe there's somebody in your life that gets in your face every time you make a, a, a peep about Jesus Christ. It's okay. Jesus said, what? Why persecutest thou me? It, 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 all that, that rage or anger, whatever it might be, is levied against God. You're just the carrier of the message and the carrier of Jesus. And certainly it's going to feel like it's directed at you, but it's really directed at Jesus. Jesus said that here. But God got through to Saul. So don't lose hope. Just keep presenting Jesus Christ to whomever you run across and even use words if it's necessary. Let it be your chaste behavior, the kind of life that you choose to live, a life of holiness and obedience and submission to your Savior. Let that speak loudly. And then if God gives you an opportunity to open up your mouth, ask him to fill it. You know, we've, we've been talking about that, walking in the Spirit. and This is what's taking place here in the, in the first few several chapters of the book of Acts. I mean, the Spirit of God was moving in the early church because they were obedient, they were sensitive, and they began to speak the things that God laid on their heart. So, as God opens up your mouth, God, fill this vessel so that I might share something that you want them to hear, not what I want them to hear, unless it's exactly what you want them to hear. The life of Saul who would become Paul the Apostle is an incredibly encouraging example for us. It means that there's hope. Have you given up on anybody? Maybe you don't want to admit it, but have you, have you kind of backed off on anyone that maybe you thought you wanted to share with? Through rejection, Whatever it might be, I, I don't know. Be it a child, a friend, neighbor, parent. You know, Saul's conversion is not only famous, but throughout the scriptures, it's probably the most unlikely. You know, maybe there's people in your life that thought you were unlikely. And then you came to Christ. Here we are today, enjoying fellowship with other Christians, people the likes of whom you once despised. Hey, I did. I remember people sharing with me, and I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. But you know what? There were goads attacking me from all sides. <laughs> and it was a good thing. It was a good thing. God kept poking at my heart. You know, whatever your past looks like, you know, some people say, I, I'm too bad. Well, have you ever outsinned Saul? <laughs> who murdered, who, who hated in the name of God, blasphemed the name of God, yet was forgiven by God. God is a great forgiver. He came to forgive us of our sins. I'll close with a passage out of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. So a letter that 
Paul, formerly Saul, wrote to Pastor Timothy. He said, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 The miracle of the conversion of Saul, you know what? You are as much of a miracle as Saul was. Every single testimony of salvation is a miracle because God took us from a place of destruction and he gave us eternal life. No destruction, but an eternal eternity of blessing and hope and glory and praise and honor to our God. We'll be seated or standing in the heavenlies around the throne of God, worshiping and praising him forevermore. And we'll probably look at each other and say, I'm glad you made it. I'm thankful for God's grace that brought you to this place where we can forever join together in the praise of that one, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. That's our Savior. And he's beautiful. And he's wonderful. And he saved Saul. And he saved me. And he saved each of you. And if there's anyone that either here this morning or watching later on, have not yet made that choice or the decision for Jesus Christ. I know, I know that I know that I know that God has been pursuing you. And he's not going to stop. So it's time for you to stop and to listen and open up your heart to him. Would you pray with me if you'd like to receive Christ? And Father, what an incredible account in the scriptures here. And I can relate to this man called Saul. Self-righteous and proud. Thought he was doing a good thing, yet he stood against you and all that you stand for. And Father, I've, I've done similarly. I've rejected you. I've mocked. I've used your name in a way that is certainly undeserving. I've laughed at your people. I've sinned against you and you alone. I've done much wrong in my life. And right now, today, I want to make it right. And I realize that there's only one way, and that is to trust you with my life. So as Saul received Christ, I desire to receive Christ today too. And I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. And I thank you, Lord, that 
that you went on to the cross. You laid your life down and did not require that of me. I thank you for that sacrifice. I thank you for your shed blood that has cleansed me from all of my sin. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. And I desire that brand new life, and I know that only you can provide it. So I invite you into my heart right now to be the Lord of my life. Thank you for being my Savior. I thank you for your death, your burial, and resurrection, and the hope that I now have in you. And I ask, Lord, that you would help me to turn from my former ways, the same as Saul did, and to embrace the fullness of life in Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen.